Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Inyash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 108, The Truth, Part 5, Answers and Riddles. The defense professor had set up a cauldron, floating it into place with a wave of his wand, another wave starting a fire beneath it. A brief circling of the defense professor's finger had set in motion a long-handled spoon, and it had continued stirring the cauldron without being held. Now, the defense professor was measuring out a heap of flowers from a large jar, what Harry supposed to be bellflowers. The indigo petals seemed luminous in the white light of the walls and curved inward in a way that gave the impression of a desire for privacy. The first of these flowers had been added to the potion at once, but then the cauldron had just gone on stirring itself for a while. The defense professor had assumed a position from which he could see Harry just by turning his head slightly, and Harry knew that he was within the defense professor's peripheral vision. In the corner, a fiendfire phoenix waited, some of the nearby stone beginning to gloss over as it melted to greater smoothness. The burning wings shed crimson light that gave everything in the room a tint of blood and reflected in scarlet sparks from the glassware. Time is wasting, said Professor Quirrell. Ask your questions, if you have them. Why, Professor Quirrell, why? Why must you be this way? Why make yourself the monster? Why Lord Voldemort? I know you might not want the same things I do, but I can't imagine what you want that makes this the best way to get it. That was what Harry's brain wanted to know. What Harry needed to know was... some way out of what was going to happen next. But the defense professor had said that he wouldn't talk about his future plans. It was strange enough that the defense professor was willing to talk about anything. That had to contradict one of his rules. I'm thinking, Harry said aloud. Professor Quirrell smiled slightly. He was using a pestle to grind the potion's first magical ingredient, a glowing red hexagon. I quite understand, but do not think over long, child. Goals. Prevent Lord Voldemort from harming people. Find a way to kill or neutralize him, but first get the stone and resurrect Hermione. Convince Professor Quirrell to stop this. Harry swallowed, pushing down the emotion, trying not to let the water reach his eyes. Tears probably wouldn't make a good impression on Lord Voldemort. Professor Quirrell was already frowning, though from the direction of his gaze, he was examining a leaf colored in vivid shades of white, green, and purple. There wasn't any obvious way to reach any of the goals, not yet. All Harry could do was ask the questions that seemed most likely to provide useful information, even if Harry didn't yet have a plan. So we just ask about whatever seems most interesting, said Harry's Ravenclaw side. I'm up for that. Shut up, Harry told the voice, and then, on further reflection, decided that he was no longer pretending it was there. Four topics came to Harry's mind as being priorities from the standpoint of curiosity about important things. Four questions, then. Four major subjects to try to fit in while this potion was still being brewed. Four questions. 
I ask my first question. What really happened on the night of October 31st, 1981? Why was that night different from all other nights? I would like the entire story, please. The question of how and why Lord Voldemort had survived his apparent death seemed likely to matter for future planning. I expected you would ask that, Professor Quirrell said, dropping a bellflower and a white glittering stone into the potion. To begin, everything I told you about the Horcrux spell is true, as you should realize since I spoke in parcel tongue. Harry nodded. Within seconds after you learned the details of the spell, you perceived the central flaw and began pondering how the spell might be improved. Do you think the young Tom Riddle was any different? Harry shook his head. Well, he was. Whenever I am tempted to despair of you, I remind myself how I was an idiot at twice your age. When I was fifteen, I made myself a horcrux as a certain book had shown me, using the death of Abigail Myrtle beneath the eyes of Slytherin's basilisk. I planned to make a new horcrux every year after I left Hogwarts, and call that my fallback plan if my other hopes for immortality did not come to fruition. In retrospect, the young Tom Riddle was grasping at straws. The thought of making a better horcrux of not being content with the spell I had already learned. This thought did not come to me until I had grasped the stupidity of ordinary people and realized which follies of theirs I had imitated. But in time, I learned the habit that you inherited from me to ask in every instance how it might be better done. To be content with the spell I had learned from a book when it bore only a faint resemblance to what I truly wanted? Absurd. And so I set forth to create a better spell. You have true immortality now? Harry was aware that, even with everything else going on, this was a question more important than war and strategy. Indeed. Professor Quirrell paused in his potions work and turned to face Harry fully. There was a look of exultation in the man's eyes that Harry had never seen there before. In all the darkest arts I could find, in all the interdicted secrets to which Slytherin's monster gave me keys, in all the lore remembered among wizard kind, I found only hints and smatterings of what I needed. So I rewove it and remade it and devised a new ritual based on new principles. I kept that ritual burning in my mind for years, perfecting it in imagination, pondering its meaning and making fine adjustments, waiting for the intention to stabilize. At last I dared to invoke my ritual, an invented sacrificial ritual, based on a principle untested by all known magic. And I lived, and yet live. The defense professor spoke with quiet triumph, as though the act itself was so great that no words could ever do it justice. I still use the word horcrux, but only from sentiment. It is a new thing entirely, the greatest of all my creations. As one of my questions you said you'd answer, I ask how to cast that spell. Denied. 
The defense professor turned back to his potion, dropping in a gray-flecked white feather and a bellflower. I had thought perhaps to teach you when you were older, for no Tom Riddle would be content otherwise. But I have changed my mind. Memory is a hard thing to recall sometimes, and Harry had been trying to remember if Professor Quirrell had dropped any hints about this subject before. Something about Professor Quirrell's phrasing sparked a memory. Perhaps you will be told when you are older. There are still physical anchors for your immortality, Harry said aloud. It resembles the old Horcrux spell by that much, which is another reason you still call them Horcruxes. It was dangerous to say aloud, but Harry needed to know. If I'm wrong, you can always deny it in Parseltongue. Professor Quirrell was smiling evilly. Your guess is right, boy, for all the good it does you. Unfortunately, that wasn't a difficult vulnerability to cover if the enemy was smart. Harry wouldn't ordinarily have made the suggestion, just in case the enemy hadn't thought of it for themselves. But in this case, he'd already made it. One horcrux dropped into an active volcano, waited so it would sink into the Earth's mantle. The same place I thought of dropping the Dementor if I couldn't destroy it. And then you asked me where I would hide something if I didn't want anyone to find it ever again. One horcrux buried kilometers down in an anonymous cubic meter of the Earth's crust. One horcrux you dropped into the Mariana Trench. One horcrux floating high in the stratosphere, transparent. Even you don't know where they are because you obliviated the exact details from your memory. And the last horcrux is the Pioneer 11 plaque that you snuck into NASA and modified. It's where you get your image of the stars when you cast the spell of starlight. Fire, earth, water, air, void. Something of a riddle, the defense professor had called it, and therefore Harry had remembered it. Something of a riddle. Indeed, it did give me something of a shock when you remembered it that quickly. But I suppose it makes no difference. All five are beyond my reach or yours. That might not be true, especially if there was some way to trace the magical connection somehow and determine the location, though presumably Voldemort would have done his best to obscure it. But what magic had done, magic might be able to defeat. Pioneer Eleven might be far away by wizard standards, but NASA knew exactly where it was and it was probably a lot more reachable if you could use magic to tell the Tsiolkovsky rocket equation to bugger off. A sudden note of worry plucked at Harry's mind. There was no rule saying the defense professor needed to have told the truth about which interstellar probe he'd horcruxed. And if Harry recalled correctly, communication and tracking of the Pioneer 10 probe had been lost shortly after the Jupiter flyby. Why wouldn't Professor Quirrell just have horcruxed them both? The obvious next thought came to Harry. It was something that ought not to be suggested if the enemy had not thought of it. But it seemed extremely probable that the enemy had thought of it. Tell me, teacher, would destroying those five anchors slay you? Why do you ask? Hissed the defense professor with a lilt to the hiss that Parseltongue translated as snakish amusement. Do you suspect that the answer is no?
Harry couldn't think of how to answer, though he strongly suspected that it didn't matter in any case. Your suspicion is right, boy. Destroying those five would not render me mortal. Harry's throat felt a bit dry again. If the spell had no disastrous cost associated with it... How many anchors did you make? Would not ordinarily say, but is clear you have already guessed. The defense professor's smile widened. Answer is that I do not know. Stopped counting somewhere around 107. Simply made a habit of it each time I murdered someone in private. Over 100 murders in private before Lord Voldemort had stopped counting. And even worse news... Your immortality spell still requires a human death? Why? Great creation maintains life and magic within devices created by sacrificing life and magic of others. Again, that hissing snake laughter. Liked false description of previous Horcrux spell so much. So disappointed when realized truth of it. Thoughts of improved version came out in that shape. Harry wasn't sure why the defense professor was giving him all this vital information. But there had to be a reason, and that was making him nervous. So you really are a disembodied spirit possessing Quirinus Quirrell? Yes. I shall return swiftly if this body is killed. Will be greatly annoyed and vengeful. I am telling you this, boy, so that you do not try anything stupid. I understand. Harry did his best to organize his thoughts, remember what he'd meant to ask next, while the defense professor turned his eyes back to the potion. The man's left hand was dribbling crushed seashells into the cauldron, while his right hand dropped in another bellflower. So what did happen on October 31st? You tried to turn the baby Harry Potter into a horcrux, either the new kind or the old kind. You did it deliberately, because you told Lily Potter... Harry took a deep breath. Now that he knew why the chills were there, he could endure them. Very well, I accept the bargain. Yourself to die, and the child to live. Now drop your wand, so that I can murder you. In retrospect, it was clear that Harry had remembered that event mainly from Lord Voldemort's perspective, and only at the very end had he seen it through the baby Harry Potter's eyes. What did you do? Why did you do it? Trelawney's Prophecy Professor Quirrell's hand tapped a bellflower with a strip of copper before dropping it in. I spent long days pondering it after Snape brought the prophecy to me. Prophecies are never trivial things, and how shall I put this in a way that does not make you think stupid things? Well, I shall say it. 
and if you are stupid, I shall be annoyed. I was fascinated by the prophecy's assertion that someone would be my equal, because it might mean that person could hold up the other end of an intelligent conversation. After 50 years of being surrounded by gibbering stupidity, I no longer cared whether my reaction might be considered a literary cliché. I was not about to pass up on that opportunity without thinking about it first. And then, you see, I had a clever idea. Professor Quirrell sighed. <sighs> it occurred to me how I might fulfill the prophecy my own way, to my own benefit. I would mark the baby as my equal by casting the old Horcrux spell in such fashion as to imprint my own spirit onto the baby's blank slate. It would be a purer copy of myself, since there would be no old self to mix with the new. In some years, when I had become bored with ruling Britain and moved on to other things, I would arrange with the other Tom Riddle that he should appear to vanquish me, and he would rule over the Britain he had saved. We would play the game against each other forever, keeping our lives interesting amid a world of fools. I knew a dramatist would predict that the two of us would end by destroying each other, but I pondered long upon it and decided that both of us would simply decline to play out that drama. That was my decision, and I was confident that it would remain so. Both Tom Riddles, I thought, would be too intelligent to truly go down that road. The prophecy seemed to hint that if I destroyed all but a remnant of Harry Potter, then our spirits would not be so different, and we could coexist in the same world. Something went wrong. Something that blew the top off of the potter's home in Godric's Hollow gave me the scar on my forehead and left your burnt body behind. Professor Quirrell nodded. His hands had slowed in their potions work. The resonance in our magic. When I had shaped the baby spirit to be like my own. Harry remembered the moment in Azkaban when Professor Quirrell's killing curse had collided with his Patronus. The burning, tearing agony in his forehead, like his head had been about to split in half. I cannot count how many times I have thought of that night, rehearsing my mistake, thinking of wiser things I should have done. I later decided that I should have thrown my wand from my hand and changed into my animagus form. But that night... That night, I instinctively tried to control the chaotic fluctuations in my magic even as I felt myself burning up from inside. That was the wrong decision, and I failed. So my body was destroyed, even as I overwrote the infant Harry Potter's mind, either of us destroying all but a remnant of the other. And then... Professor Quirrell's expression was controlled. And then, when I regained consciousness inside my horcruxes... It turned out that my great creation did not work as I had hoped. I should have been able to float free of my horcruxes and possess any victim that consented to me or that was too weak to refuse me. That was the part of my great creation that failed my intent. As with the original horcrux spell, I would only be able to enter a victim who contacted the physical horcrux.
and I had hidden my unnumbered horcruxes in places where nobody would ever find them. Your instinct is correct, boy. This would not be a good time to laugh. Harry stayed very quiet. The potions making had come to a temporary pause, a space where no ingredients were added while the cauldron simmered for a while. I spent most of my time looking at the stars. The defense professor had turned from the potion, staring at the white illuminated walls of the room. My remaining hope was the horcruxes I had hidden in the hopeless idiocy of my youth, imbuing them into ancient lockets instead of anonymous pebbles, guarding them beneath wells of poison in the center of a lake of inferi instead of portkeying them into the sea. If someone found one of those and penetrated their ridiculous protections... But that seemed like a distant hope. I was not sure I would ever be embodied again. Yet, at least I was immortal. The worst of all fates had been averted. My great creation had done that much. I had little left to hope for, and little left to fear. I decided that I would not go insane, since there seemed to be no advantage in it. Instead, I gazed out at the stars and thought, as the sun slowly diminished behind me. I reflected on the errors of my past life. They were many in that hindsight. In my imagination, I constructed powerful new rituals I might attempt if I was free to use my magic once more, and yet confident of my immortality. I contemplated ancient riddles at greater length than before, for all that I had once thought myself patient. I knew that if I won free, I would be more powerful by far than in my previous life, but I mostly did not expect that to happen. Professor Quirrell turned back to the potion, Nine years and four months after that night, a wandering adventurer named Quirinus Quirrell won past the protections guarding one of my earliest horcruxes. The rest you know. And now, boy, you may say what we both know you are thinking. Um, it doesn't seem like a very smart thing to say. Indeed, Mr. Potter, it is not a clever thing to say to me. Not even a little. Not in the slightest. But I know you're thinking it, and you will go on thinking it, and I will go on knowing that until you say it. So speak. So, um, I realize that this is something that is more obvious in hindsight than in foresight, and I'm certainly not suggesting that you try to correct the error now. But if you are a Dark Lord, and you happen to hear about a child who has been prophesied to defeat you, there is a certain spell which is unblockable, unstoppable, and works every single time on anything with a brain. Yes, thank you, Mr. Potter. That thought occurred to me several times over the next nine years. Professor Quirrell picked up another bellflower and began crumbling it in his bare fist. I made that principle the centerpiece of my battle magic curriculum after I learned its centrality the hard way. It was not the first rule on the younger Tom Riddle's list. It is only by harsh experience that we learn which principles take priority over which other principles. As mere words, they all sound equally persuasive. 
In retrospect, it would have been better if I had sent Bellatrix to the potter's home in my place, but I had a rule telling me that for such matters I must go myself, and not try sending a trusted lieutenant. Yes, I considered the killing curse, but I wondered if casting the killing curse at an infant would somehow cause it to bounce off and hit me, thus fulfilling the prophecy. How was I to know? So use an axe! It's hard to get a prophecy-fulfilling spell backfire out of an axe, Harry said, and then shut up. I decided the safest path was to try to fulfill the prophecy on my own terms. Needless to say, the next time I hear a prophecy I do not like, I will tear it apart at every possible point of intervention, rather than trying to play along. Professor Quirrell was crushing a rose as though to squeeze the juice out of it, still using his bare fist. And now, everyone thinks the boy who lived is somehow immune to the killing curse, even though killing curses do not ruin houses or leave burnt bodies behind them, because it has not occurred to them that Lord Voldemort would ever use any other spell. Harry again stayed quiet. It had occurred to Harry that there was another obvious way that Lord Voldemort could have avoided his mistake, something that might be easier to see given a muggle upbringing instead of the wizarding way of looking at things. Harry had not yet decided whether to tell Professor Quirrell about his thought. There were both pros and cons to pointing out that particular error. After a time, Professor Quirrell picked up the next potion's ingredient, a strand of what looked like unicorn hair. I tell you this as a caution. Do not expect me to be delayed another nine years if you somehow destroy this body of mine. I set horcruxes in better places at once, and now even that is unnecessary. Thanks to you, I learned where to find the Resurrection Stone. The Resurrection Stone does not bring back the dead, of course, but it holds a more ancient magic than my own for projecting the seeming of a spirit. And since I am one who has defeated death, Cadmus's Hallow acknowledged me as its master and answered all my will. I have now incorporated it into my great creation. Professor Quirrell smiled slightly. I had, many years earlier, considered making that device a horcrux, but decided against it at the time, since I realized that the ring had magic of unknown nature. Ah, such ironies does life play upon us. But I digress. You, boy. You brought that about. You freed my spirit to fly where it pleases and seduce the most opportune victim by being too casual with your secrets. It is a catastrophe for any who oppose me, and you wrought it with one finger, drawing wetness on a tea saucer. This world will be a safer place for all if you learn the rectitude that wizardborns absorb in childhood. And all this that I have just said is the truth. Harry closed his eyes, and his own hand massaged his forehead. If he had seen it from the outside, it would have looked the mirror of Professor Quirrell in deep thought. The problem of defeating Professor Quirrell was looking increasingly difficult, 
even by the standards of the sort of impossible problems that Harry had already solved. If communicating that difficulty was what Professor Quirrell was trying to do, he was succeeding. Harry was seriously considering the possibility that it might be better to offer to rule Britain as Voldemort's non-homicidal delegate if Professor Quirrell himself would just agree to stop killing people all the time. Even mostly. But that wasn't likely to happen. Harry stared at his hands from where he had sat down upon the floor, feeling sadness shading over into despair. The Lord Voldemort who'd given Harry his dark side had spent that long thinking things over and reflecting on his own thought processes, and had emerged as the calm, clear-headed, and still homicidal Professor Quirrell. Professor Quirrell added a pinch of golden hair to the potion of effulgence, and that reminded Harry that time was continuing to move. The locks of bright hair were rarer than the bellflowers. End first part of chapter 108. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is The Fall by Ministry. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the continuation of Chapter 108, The Truth, Part 5.